0: Hey there, welcome to episode four. From Pop Star to Master Negotiator, this is the Claim the Stage podcast, a podcast for women who want to become professional speakers. I'm Angela Lucier, and I call myself the Unlikely Speaker. I'm a former shy girl turned professional speaker, author of three books, trainer, and I'm the founder of the Speaking School for Women. Today, I welcome Jamie Lee to the show. Jamie is a negotiation coach from New York City. She never planned to become a speaker and coach on the topic of negotiation, but But one conversation over wine and dinner with friends got her thinking about how negotiation plays a part in our lives and how she could help women to become better at asking for what they want. I met Jamie through a Facebook group my friend Kara Snyder runs for women in business. In this interview, you'll hear some of Jamie's advice about what negotiation really is and how to reframe it so it isn't quite so scary to ask for, well, anything. Without further ado, here's Jamie Lee on today's show i have jamie lee she is a professional speaker and negotiation trainer who lives in new york city Jamie specializes in hands-on negotiation workshops for ambitious women. At her workshops, she challenges her audience members to confront the fear of asking, and she creates a safe space in which they can practice negotiating and responding to pushback. She believes that when women own their negotiation prowess and win, everyone wins. Her workshops have been featured with the Get Bullish Conference, Athena Center for Leadership, Bay State Health Women's Empowerment Summit, and more. She's an INFJ, and if you don't know, that's a Myers-Briggs personality type, a child of South Korean immigrants, and has a background in tech startups and finance. Jamie, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: Thank you, Angela, for having me. It's my great pleasure.
0: Yeah, I'm, I, I was excited to meet you because I'm negotiation is the topic that comes up in business all the time. No matter if you're a coach or, you know, um, you own a retail shop, it's just some, it's a skill that you need in life. And so when I found out you're a negotiation coach, I said, oh my gosh, I have to have her on the show because I train women how to become paid speakers. And they're always asking me, how do you set your fee? And how do you know what's too low? And how do you know what to ask for? And how do you, how do you do it so you don't feel bad? So I'm excited to have you on the show so we can talk about that in addition to more about you and how you got to this point point. and first I want to point out that you mentioned you're an INFJ in your in your bio and I'm an INFJ too so I'm interested do you think did you think you would become a speaker when you were younger because I think INFJs are sort of typically quiet and we're like dreamers and we might not be thought of as speakers so did you see this path for you? Yes and no I when I was
1: very young, growing up in South Korea, my dream job was to become a pop singer, a pop star. <laughs>
0: really? Who yeah. was your favorite?
1: You know, I don't even know. I don't remember. <laughs> and even if I did remember, the reference would be lost because it, it, would, it would be some Korean pop star from the 80s. <laughs> But I, I remember vividly watching TV, you know, like the Korean version of what would be a good uh, parallel here, American Idol or something like that, mm. and seeing the, the person singing on stage and getting really immersed in this beautiful, rich emotion and, and feeling touched by their artistry and their music and thinking, that's what I want to do. <laughs> And I don't do that any. I I don't do that. I'm not a singer. I did study singing briefly in college. I didn't study negotiation. Actually, I didn't even study business in college. I studied Japanese. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess you can say I've I've stuck very close to that F by doing whatever I felt like doing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So how do you go from wanting to be a pop star to studying Japanese to becoming a negotiation coach? (laughs)
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So first of all, I wanna make the point that negotiation it's we do it non stop. We do it in our everyday lives, we do it in business, we do it at work, we do it with our family. You know, life is just full of negotiations nonstop. And to answer your question, how did I get started? Three and a half years ago I was having cocktails with some of my girlfriends I had some of my girlfriends just you know come over to my apartment we made some cocktails we're just hanging out and one of the women who I really admire she's actually a technology entrepreneur herself she gave this very nonchalant advice to another woman who was complaining that she didn't like her job. She felt she was underpaid and underappreciated. And the woman I admire, her name is Tanya, Tanya turned to my other friend Sachiko and she said, you know, you could always ask for more. (laughs) And it was so simple, but it was like a light bulb went off in my head because I, I hadn't seen another woman give this, negotiation advice it was so you know so casual but so true and yet I thought wait how come I've never heard this conversation in my life before how come whenever we women get together we just gripe about our bosses and we hate our work we hate our bosses or our boyfriends or girlfriends are doing something that's annoying us but we don't talk about something that is so crucial, something that is so essential and something that, you know, is so ubiquitous in our lives and in our careers. And yet we don't talk about it. I thought, I thought to myself, well, you know, Tanya just did something about it. She just gave advice. And I thought I could do something about
0: that. And so was it intentional to cater mostly to women in your negotiation work?
1: so how I got started again three and a half years ago after hearing Tanya's advice was I decided that what I could do was I could create an event where really smart really successful women can be on a panel and share their stories about how they negotiated their lives their businesses their careers and and yes to answer your question, it was intentionally designed from the beginning to cater to women, especially women like me. I'm 34 now, so you know I had just started my career back then. I'm um, still early in my uh, working life. And I thought this was such an important piece of advice that I had never heard. And it was so important to me that I share it with other women because as there are so many books, research, really depressing articles online about how women don't negotiate. They're they're so depressing, I'm not going to mention them (laughs) because I believe that I'm going to be part of the change, not not, you know, recreating the past, just complaining and not doing anything about it. I want to be part of the solution, right? Not the problem. Mm -hmm. So the solution is I want to be the instigator of that conversation. I want to organize events. I want to facilitate conversation where we learn from each other Mm -hmm. because Because, again, so important, we women do know how to negotiate. We women have negotiated our lives and our our careers. We just often fail to recognize and see ourselves as negotiators. Hmm. Why do you think that is? It's a lot of, it's history, it's culture, it's society, it's Media, it's, I mean, we, we, I can go on and on, but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, let's talk about history. There is that one essential, one really crucial idea that, that really got me fired up about the idea of becoming a negotiation trainer, which is the concept of locus of control. And this is covered in that really depressing book, Women Don't Ask. It's it's depressing, but at the same time, inspiring and motivating because she tells you how to do it, how to ask, right? Sarah Lashever and Lisa Babcock, Women Don't Ask. Go read it if you haven't. And in the book, they talk about locus of control and locus of control is the psychological concept that, People who tend to be more confident, people who tend to take control of their situations and people who tend to initiate negotiation, they see themselves in the middle as, as they are the locus of control. They are sitting in the, it, say, for example, you uh, picture your life like in a circle, like a spaceship, right? The locus of control is smack in the middle. It's you. You have that control, right? Hmm. But if you feel that that locus of control is outside you, is outside the spaceship of your life, right? That the command center of your life is beyond you. It's it's the institutions who tell you how to behave. It's your parents who tell you what to do with your life. It's it's your boss who tell you how to dress and et cetera and et cetera. If you feel that your locus of control is outside that spaceship, then you're probably not going to negotiate because you're going to feel that you don't really have control over things.
0: That's amazing. that's a really interesting like reframe of negotiation. Instead of it being this this time where you have to like fight for get what you're worth, instead you're saying no. Just recognize the fact that you're the person in control of what you get and just start there. Right? Like, it's not even about that back and forth. It's just about like owning your, your power and your space and time, and then kind of like going to the next step. Right?
1: Absolutely. Mindset is key.
0: Yeah. So, um, one of the biggest negotiation philosophies is learning how to say no in a situation. When do you suggest doing this or not doing this? That's a, Can you be more specific? <laughs> well, I, I was looking at your website and, you know, you said it's it's important to say no at certain times because maybe the thing you're negotiating for isn't really, it's not going to, you're not going to end up getting what you want or saying no is where you kind of like find your power and you, you know, you come back to control. So can you tell us more about when it makes sense to say no and, and when maybe it makes sense to try to keep negotiating?
1: The short answer is it depends. The long answer is that, again, it depends after you have prepared, after you have really dug deeper into your own interest. I think what you're hinting at is perhaps one of my principles. One of my core principles is that you must be ready to hear and say no in a negotiation. Mm. And I'm going to, Go to the definition. I'm going to take a. I'm going to take a few steps back, and give you my definition of negotiation, which will explain this. Which is, negotiation is simply a conversation. With the intention, of reaching agreement, where everyone has the right to say no. Hmm. So, a lot of people think is negotiation like a tennis match where we go back and forth. Is negotiation a dreaded chore? Is it like pulling teeth? Is it like going to the dentist? Is negotiation like a fight? Is it, am I just gonna have to make a case and defend my case, you know, gritting my teeth? No, negotiation is a conversation. And we have conversations all the time with many different types of people with the intention of reaching agreement. No agreement is completely a valid outcome of a negotiation conversation, I'd like to add. And everyone has the right to say no. So the word no is already baked into the definition of the word negotiation. Mm -hmm. And that's why I, I think approaching this conversation without feeling needy, without feeling the need to hear yes is so important is is very critical that I've made it my one of my core principles be always ready to hear and say no now when is a good time to say no like I said it depends Uh, I just gave some consultation to a client of mine who is a Japanese translator and she works through an agent who sends her to different locations to interpret on behalf of Japanese speaking clients. She likes this job. This is this job is really important for her. She's just building this business. However, the agent who assigns her these jobs, he started to give her assignments that were extremely inconvenient to her without asking whether they were of convenience or if they could, you know, if they were workable in my client's schedule and she called me one day and she said you know he just called me and he said that I must travel out of state I have to get my husband to drive me for three hours to a location to do an interpretation that will take 30 minutes of my time I'm gonna have to spend I'm gonna have to book a hotel spend a night and then get my husband to drive me back for another three hours. And I said, okay, well, let's consider all the factors. How much more are you getting paid? You know, How important is this relationship? And what's the worst thing that can have happen if you say no because you're telling me you'd rather not travel. This is a gig that you can do easily via Skype. So my advice to her was, maybe this is one you can let go. Maybe this is one you can say, no. And in this case, this no is just making it super clear what the terms are of the engagement. What are the terms of this engagement? So I want to say the no that I'm talking about is really about being clear about why you're doing what you're doing. What are you doing it? When are you doing it? Where are you doing it? And how are you doing it?
0: Mm -hmm. I want to tell you about a scenario I ran into when I started speaking, when I would try to negotiate speaking fees. Now, often I would do my homework and try to understand as much as I could about the event or conference. So I knew kind of the size, like how many people were attending, the ticket price, who else was speaking, who spoke in the past. So I could start to think about like how much I might charge as the keynote or a workshop presenter. And then I would set a bottom line of say $500. And then, you know, get on the phone with the event planner and start having the conversation about me speaking and how long and how big my audience will be. And at the end, let's say they pitch me and say, well, we can pay you $400. And and quickly in my mind, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that's less than I said I would do. I don't know if I should say yes to this. Maybe I should just go with it because it's a good opportunity and just quickly like say yes. And then I would have all these feelings of guilt. Like I, I let myself be sold for you know, less than I'm worth. I didn't try hard enough to negotiate. I didn't want to upset her and lose the opportunity. I I feel like I didn't stand up for myself and then get off the phone and feel really bad because I didn't do the thing that I said I was going to do. So do you have any tips in that moment when you're going into a negotiation and you feel confident and you feel ready, but then you just like don't do the thing you said you were going to do and take less than you're worth? It's always
1: okay to go back and renegotiate. Okay. Yeah. And And that's a short answer. (laughs) Can I give you the long answer? Yeah. The long answer is you don't need to be so hard on yourself. (laughs) 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 It's not just about the price point. I think one of the best negotiation advice that I ever read was you know, the person who fixates on price and not about all the other terms of the agreement, that person is probably gonna be, gonna come out of this negotiation uh, with a worse deal than the other side, who was prepared to talk about all the other terms. So you, you, you mentioned it, you mentioned how you did all your research, you looked at who else was speaking, and you know you talked about the length of your speaking, the audience size, what was this opportunity for you and what does it mean for, you know, the uh, for your business, right? Mm-hmm. I I started out doing negotiation workshops. Sometimes I didn't even charge for them. I wanted to get started and it was more important to me that I get started and get experience doing public speaking and negotiation training and group coaching than The monetary compensation. Mm -hmm. So I know the guilt that you're talking about is like, did I undersell myself? Did I undervalue myself? I think it's really important to be crystal clear on what your values are beyond money.
0: That's a great point. And so how do you I guess that's probably a bigger conversation just about your values as a business person, as, as just a, a person, like what do you care about the most and what, well, how do you define success? And so having some of those things figured out will help you in your negotiations, right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, you gotta always look beyond money. I think, uh, especially in the context that you described where you're starting out, you're trying to develop a business. You're trying to develop credibility. You're trying to develop a book of business and experience. Sometimes, maybe it's worth, uh, you know, doing the gig for a hundred dollars less than what was your minimum. I mean, you understand what I'm saying, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, and and because you know, the more experience you have, more leverage you will have in the long-term. So uh, another thing I want to speak to is having a long-term vision, Mm -hmm. long-term vision of your success.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think a big part of negotiation is confidence, just like having the confidence to have that conversation and feel like you can ask for what you want and not be afraid of, upsetting the other person. Mm-hmm. So how do you coach new negotiators or even seasoned negotiators to boost their confidence? Do you have like a lesson plan or is there a, a set of instructions that they can work through in order to feel more confident in those conversations?
1: I just gave a hands-on negotiation workshop on the topic yesterday for a group of digital marketers in New York City. And my main point was that ne- habit. It's not how you feel consistently. It's what you do consistently. The most successful people that I know, they have incredible bouts of self-doubt. They feel fear. They feel anxiety. I battle with anxiety every single day. But it's not about giving into that fear and that anxiety, but it's about writing it going above it and still following through with action. So habits. So confidence is a habit. Uh, And um, for people who are just starting out, I would recommend that they build their asking muscles. People, especially women, we, we tend to be givers. I'm like that too. I tend to be a person who wants to please others, wants to make sure everyone is comfortable and feeling good. And I like to you know do favors and give away things. So I had to grow my asking muscle in such a way that I felt comfortable receiving. Mm-hmm. One of my negotiation mentors, the the person who helped me get started, is a major partner. Is one of the uh, she's uh, one of the only female partners in the field of sports law in New York City. She's 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 a big shot. She's awesome, and she's very confident. I think because she developed a habit of asking. She said that early in her career, she found that. Negotiation is so crucial to her life and career success. So she intentionally built the habit of asking every chance she got, asking for more. And it starts with very small things, very small everyday things. Somebody asks you for a favor, ask for more details, ask if they can help you back. You go to a restaurant, ask for a better seat if they sit you next to the the breadbasket station when you check into a hotel ask for ask for an upgrade sometimes they just give them to you if you ask so for new negotiators i would highly recommend that you you develop this habit of intentionally asking for more in everyday small situations and those and in those situations the confidence that you build from those everyday habits will will Help you build, help you feel more confident when you have a high stakes conversation, high stakes
0: negotiation. Hmm. That's excellent advice. One of the questions I'm trying to get my students comfortable with asking is what's your budget? in a way that's confident and conversational and natural not like so like what's your budget (laughs) you know but actually um feeling comfortable to ask that question and i said you know it'd be great if you just start asking that question of your spouse or your kids or your dog or the mailman just like to get comfortable hearing yourself saying it out loud so it doesn't sound so weird coming out of your mouth in a negotiation and you feel like oh my gosh did i just say that does that is that okay to say and so i I think it's along the same lines of building habits of just getting used to having like a certain way of doing things so yeah. that it, it feels more comfortable. Um, a so minute ago you said that you, you have anxiety and that you deal with that every day. And, and I think that's really interesting to talk about for a minute if you're open to it, because like I I'm constantly anxious and like nervous and, and fearful of what I'm doing and if I'm doing it right and if I'm doing it well. And it's funny because the feedback I get from people all the time is like, wow, you're so calm. <laughs> always... Me too.
1: <laughs> I guess that's the, the magic. It's, that's the charm, the secret of INF Chase.
0: I know, it must be. Yeah, we just yeah. contain the the ferocious anxiety that's like brewing below. Right. But um, what I think is interesting is that, you're able to sort of like handle and manage that anxiety in a way that allows you to still be a leader and train people and you know speak in public. And I wonder if you have any tips for our listeners if they deal with anxiety that might help them in negotiations um, when they're about to get on stage to speak or just in any kind of high-pressure situation where they want to perform but they feel feel anxious about it. Absolutely.
1: So I'll give two answers, one about negotiation, the other one about public speaking. I'm also a member of Toastmasters, and I love public speaking, even though I struggle with anxiety. So negotiation, the advice I give to, particularly to women, and this applies to everyone really, is when you have to negotiate for something that you really believe in, something that you – Again, it's about, you know, what are your values? What are your long-term goals? What what makes you deeply joyous, right? And when you're doing that, you know, often for a lot of us, it's about helping, it's about serving the people that we love. It's about making sure that our family and loved ones are 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 cared for. And I want them to remember that. Uh, There was was a study in the Clinton Global Initiative. They put out a paper and they said that 90% of women around the world, 90% of women invest their income back into their families. Hmm. So literally, when women win, their communities, their families, their networks, those are the people who benefit. And it could be as small as something that makes you simply happy. Mm. You ask for better treatment at a hotel that you check into. Let's go back to that example. Your happiness matters. Your satisfaction matters because it impacts the people that are closest to you. It impacts your work. It impacts your life. So when you're feeling anxious about asking for something and you're thinking, oh, my God, what will they think? Will they think that I'm being a greedy B-I-T-C-H or whatever? Remember what's most important to you. Remember who are the people that you serve in your life and how will they benefit from you getting what you want? I had a negotiation mentor, she's another international speaker and trainer, and she says that in a negotiation, like business deal negotiation, sometimes you have to get emotional in that you have to make a case based on something that has emotional resonance. It's not just about who's right, it's not just about the metrics. And of course, all of those things are important and must be brought up, but sometimes it gets to a point where you have to make an emotional case. And she... she She said, you know, it could be a pet snake that you have at home and that pet snake can be made out of plastic, but it's so your family and you're doing it for your family, (laughs) right? Because your family is your family. It could be, you know, your three siblings or it could be your extended family of 16 people or, or a pet snake or a pet dog or whatever. So, again... Negotiation anxiety, tap into what's most deeply valuable, something that, you know, really means something to you. And for public speakers, yeah, anxiety is a big issue because as you and I know, some people think that speaking in public is is the most scary, scariest thing that a person can do. But uh I think it's really important to remember that if you're called up on the stage to give a speech or to speak to a, you know, group of people, that the audience, they love you. They love you so much. They want you to succeed. They want to hear about you. They want to see you. They want to see your face. They want to hear your voice. They love you. And it's kind of a crazy concept, but after being in Toastmasters for over a year, this is what I've, you know, this is what I've learned. It's the audience, they, they're rooting for you.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, and, and they actually want to see you having a good time. It's exactly. Really, and the better you're able to handle the energy of being on stage, the more your audience draws from that and gets from your presentation. So that's a great point. So I have five quick questions, like, this is our lightning round. Okay. And I, I want to know, and maybe that you just answered it, but what advice do you have for women who are afraid of public speaking?
1: Women who are afraid of public speaking. I, I want to say, so th- this is the instance where they're afraid of public speaking, but they have to do it. Yeah. yeah. Share themselves. Sometimes when you do public speaking, you know, I get this fear, too, constantly, because I'm a public speaker. You think, oh, I have to know everything. I have to be able to answer everyone's questions. I have to know all the technical ins and outs and, you know, the intricacies of this particular thing that I'm going to talk about. So I have to remind myself calm down. Relax. People really want to hear stories and people really want to hear stories about you. So even if you're giving a technical presentation, if you can weave in an anecdote that makes it personal, makes it relevant, I think that makes that makes the presentation more easy to listen to, and attractive to audiences. So people, so especially women, right, we love to share our stories. So I mean, for I'm speaking for myself, of course. So do exactly that share your story.
0: Yeah. I was talking to my business coach yesterday, and I was telling her about the work I'm doing with my students in my speaking school. And how I'm I'm trying to encourage them to share their stories and tie their story into their brand. And talking about why they care about the work they're doing and what happened in their life to make them that way. And my business coach said, so essentially you're making them thought leaders of their own story. And I was like, yes, that is so interesting. And like such a cool way of thinking about public speaking. And it's exactly what you're saying. It's like tie in your own personal experiences and your stories because, yeah, the audience wants to know you and they want to hear from you. They don't just want to hear facts and figures. They want the personal angle. So I totally agree that if you're afraid of public speaking, yes, share you. Yep. Um, Second question. Do you have a personal operating philosophy? And if so, what is it? I, my personal
1: philosophy is to lean into my fears. Hmm.
0: Cool. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, to basically run headlong into them if I can.
0: <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and then what do you do when you get there? Just figure it out?
1: <laughs> what do I... Once I get there?
0: Yeah, like when you run into your fears, like when you run right into them and you go into the thing that scares you, is it just like, you know, once you're, you've are you started the business or once you've gotten on stage, it's just a matter of figuring it out in the moment?
1: Well, the thing the thing is you're afraid of something, right? For example, I was just talking about the fear of, oh my God, I don't know all the things. I am not. I may not be good enough. And once you face those fears, once you confront them, you find out that those fears were boogeymen. They were shadows of your wildly imaginative mind. They just created these fears in your head and... You, you realize, oh, my fear was completely ungrounded. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But of course the challenge there is once you get there you, you have a new boogeyman. You have new <laughs> imaginations. Right. Um so yeah, I guess I guess what you do is you just keep climbing up.
0: Yeah. Keep climbing up. What advice would you give to your twenty five year old self?
1: Leave that man boy. <laughs>
0: Awesome. What advice do you have for your 75 year old self,
1: my 75 year old self, right, we were talking earlier in this podcast about long term goals and how, you know, don't fixate on on numbers, because you want to fix, you know, be focused on your long-term vision, right? So my 75-year-old self, she is now cashing checks in the six to seven figures, right? She started <laughs> out by doing workshops for free, you know, she she took some concessions in pricing, you know, she took it on the chin, she said, I'm growing my business, I'm developing my platform. 75-year-old self, she's done that, she's gone beyond it, and she is now chillaxing and just <laughs> relishing in the wealth and abundance she's got some fabulous clothes and to her I would say take more walks
0: nice (laughs) and last question if you had to pick one object to represent yourself what would you pick a sunflower Hmm. why is that
1: I love the sun (laughs) okay (laughs) like I, I can't get enough sunlight yeah And sometimes I literally like a plant, if I don't get enough sunlight, I I sort of feel a little like, you know, I I, I like hunch over and sad. I'm achy. Yeah. So uh, I'm like a sunflower. I, I need to follow the sun, be in the sunshine.
0: Totally agree. Awesome. Well, if anyone listening is interested in learning more about Jamie's negotiation tips and wants to get on her free monthly newsletter where she provides negotiation advice and workshop updates, go to com. It's J-I-E-U-N j-a-m-i-e.com and the link will be in the description for this podcast as well jamie thank you so much for being here today this has been a huge education so many great takeaways and i don't know about you but i'm totally ready to go negotiate like i'm just going to go to the awesome. grocery store and try and get a banana half price or something just to see if go can. for
1: it yeah <laughs> got it, build that asking muscle
0: i will <laughs> thanks so much thank you Thanks so much for tuning in to episode four. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe by hitting the subscribe button. Also, please rate and review my new show so more people can find it. Thanks for listening. Next time, I'll be talking to Katie Tynan, a two-time author, consultant, and the award winner of the number one motivational speaker in Boston, Massachusetts. By the way, I also publish a weekly public speaking tip to my email subscribers. If you want in on that, go to my website, AngelaLucier.us, and get on the list. If you'd like to be on my show or recommend someone else, please email me at Angela at Also, please feel free to send questions about public speaking as well. I'd love to have some Q&A episodes. See you next time.